Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander Specs Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. It is episode 104 of the podcast here on Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. Thank you all so much for listening, not just for my sake, but for your all's sake as well, because we've got a lot of facts on this podcast this week, which I wanted to inform you all about, because this week we have one topic. And so when we have one topic, I like to call it, I just dubbed this, but our a main event podcast, because it's our main event. We're getting straight to our big topic this week. We're talking about the debt ceiling. You've probably heard about it in the news. It's going to be brought up in the news a lot more over the next few weeks because we, the United States government, basically, has reached the debt ceiling. And now we're getting to the deadline pretty soon where if we don't raise it, we're going to default on our debt. Uh-oh. And that would not be so good. We're going to talk about everything, the background, what the Republicans and the Democrats in Washington are talking about, everything you need to know about the debt ceiling and what's going on in Washington right now is on this podcast. So stay tuned because a lot of important facts are coming on this main event podcast. So before we get to all those facts, remember that if you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 104, rate and review the podcast, and then check us out on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, we like to call it around here, spread the facts! Xander's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the podcast, about the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts. If you didn't know, it's a recap of the week's top headlines that I write. Every Sunday morning it comes out. It is free. You can sign up to get it in your email inbox every Sunday morning. The link is in this episode's description on Substack. Check it out. And then if you want all the links for Xander's Facts, because who wouldn't want all the facts, check out the Xander's Facts link tray, linktr.ee slash Xander's Facts. That is linked in this episode's description. It has all the Xander's Facts links that you need for the podcast, everywhere you can find the podcast, for all the social medias, where you can find the newsletter, where you can find the YouTube channel. You should check that out. All the Xander's Facts links are on Xander's Facts Linktree, which is linked in this episode's description. Check that out. Xander's Facts. With all the mumbo-jumbo out of the way, let's go to our main event this week, which is the latest with the debt ceiling. There has been some recent news regarding the debt ceiling, and it hasn't been good. So I wanted to talk about it on this podcast because we've talked about it a little bit. Back on episode 89, which was in January, episode 89 of this podcast, we talked a little bit about the U.S. federal government's debt limit, what it was, but we didn't go into much detail. That was the episode where we talked about the House Speaker vote. That was back in January, if you can remember, all the way back then, because we're in May now, and it's a lot warmer outside. But back in January, y'all remember the Speaker vote, which lasted a couple days, because Kevin McCarthy didn't have the votes, and he didn't have the votes for, what was it, many votes? And then he finally did have the votes, but he had to give up a lot of concessions. And one of the things that we talked about that could be really difficult to get through Congress because of the narrow majority that Republicans have in the House and what could happen there. And then Democrats, of course, control the Senate and the White House. So you've got to fight a government. And the debt ceiling was one of those things that could be very difficult to pass, even though it's, it's pretty essential 
And we're at the point now where we need to pass this thing. Kevin McCarthy, it's May. It's been a couple months. He's still speaker. That may surprise you because one of those concessions that he made to those far-right Republicans to get his votes for speaker was that only one member of his conference can bring up a vote to remove him as speaker. Of course, he has to get passed by 218 votes. That hasn't happened yet. The Republicans have stayed in line, all 222 of them, for now, but this could be the thing that starts to change some things that might break the conference. But let's talk about it, because on this podcast, with the debt ceiling, we're going to get into the nitty gritties. You've probably heard about the debt ceiling on the news, but you may not know what it is, or you may not, you may have a surface level understanding but you might not know all the facts. That's what this podcast is for. That's going to change on this week's podcast because I'm talking all about the debt ceiling on episode 104, what it is, why it's important right now, and how we can get out of the mess we have gotten ourselves into as a country. We're in a mess right now, y'all. Put it bluntly, we got to get out of it too because if we keep going down into this mess, it's going to get a lot worse. A lot stickier. Let's do it. So let's start off by first talking about what is the debt ceiling in the first place? Probably a big question you have. What is the debt ceiling? Because a lot of people are talking about it and it's just like, what are you talking about? Well, when you actually look at it, it's not that complicated of a topic, thankfully. It is. It's kind of relatively a silly one, though, because the United States debt ceiling or debt limit, you've probably heard both debt ceiling and debt limit. They're the same thing. You can use them interchangeably. That is the legislative limit on the amount of national debt that the federal government can have. It basically limits the amount of money that the government can pay on the debt that it's already borrowed by borrowing even more money. And as we all know, the United States is in a lot of debt because uh, there's a website you can go to, usdebtclock.com. It's a, it's, what a website it is. The numbers, they don't stop going up. But there's over $31.7 trillion of debt. You can look it up, usdebtclock.com. That's almost $95,000 of debt per each American citizen. And we've got a federal budget deficit that is running at over $1.4 trillion. That's a lot of numbers. So that number, that $31.7 trillion number, just keeps adding up. So that's what the debt ceiling is. It's the legislative limit on the amount of national debt that we can have. And if we take a little trip down memory lane, historical lane, if you will, then you'll see that the U.S. didn't always have a debt ceiling to authorize the borrowing of money. In fact, it wasn't until 1917 that we had a debt ceiling. Before that, Congress actually authorized each debt individually And once you got into the 20th century, that started taking a lot of time. So to make it simpler, the Second Liberty Bond Act of 1917 established a limit, or a ceiling, on the amount of new bonds that could be issued. Now this is all up to Congress because according to Article 1, Section 8, Clause 2 of the Constitution, Congress is the only government body with the authority, quote, to borrow money on the credit of the United States, unquote. So Congress is the branch of government, the legislative branch is the branch of government that has to deal with this. Now, the debt limit we have now 
is kind of different from what we had in 1917. What we have now is basically an aggregate limit that is applied to 99.5% of all federal debt that we have. This originated from the Public Debt Acts of 1939 and 1941, and obviously the limit has changed several times since those acts were put into effect, which was World War II. Big game alert! When the limit is raised, it doesn't increase the government's financial commitments. It just allows the government to borrow more money to pay the expenses that Congress and the White House have already approved. So we're talking about borrowing more money to pay for stuff that has already been approved. And actually, as of May of 2023, Congress has increased the limit since 1960 78 times. It usually goes off without a hitch. It usually just happens. But we're in a bit of a predicament right now. If we go back to 2021, Congress and the White House raised the debt ceiling to a new total of $31.4 trillion. Remember, back in 2021, Congress and the White House, both branches of Congress, the Senate and the House, were all controlled by Democrats. So obviously you could say, well, we wouldn't be in this predicament if they just raised the debt ceiling enough. And they were talking about doing that back at the end of 2022. And there were a couple of senators, Democrats, you know, probably the two that I'm talking about, who didn't want to do that. So now we're in what we're doing right now. Bold move there. Which, if you don't know, I'm going to explain in just a second. So they, back in 2021, the new debt ceiling total was $31.4 trillion, which with a T, that's a lot of money. Well, in January of this year, 2023, guess what the total national debt was? $31.4 trillion. So what does that mean? It means that if we want to continue borrowing money so we can, you know, pay on things, the debt ceiling either needs to be raised or suspended. Now, on January 19th, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that the Treasury Department would begin using what they call extraordinary measures to make sure that we don't default on our debt. Those extraordinary measures, as what they call them, are basically these accounting maneuvers that the Treasury is going to be able to use to make sure that the government can keep paying its bills for a couple more months. You know, while the White House and Congress, while they, you know, chit chat about how they're going to raise the debt ceiling, that's accounting maneuvers is basically as specific as I want to go into because it doesn't really matter what they do. They just do it. And yeah, there you go. What are you talking about? So we initially thought that using these measures would allow Congress probably until the middle or end of the summer to hammer out a deal for the debt ceiling. But last week, Janet Yellen said that now, the date that is believed to be the end-all, be-all is June 1st. Uh-oh. It is May 10th. June 1st is in 22 days. That is sooner than expected. So now, Republicans in Congress and Democrats in Congress and the White House have to, they gotta, hammer out a deal in the next few weeks and the next three or so weeks to make sure that the U.S. does not go into a default. And while that's never happened before in the history of the country, if it happens, it would be the first time ever, we've gotten pretty close a couple of times. So before we kind of detail the things that are going on with 
what's happening right now. Let's just go back to the history books because we got to take a look back at what's happened before because this isn't the first time we've been in this predicament. I mean, the debt ceiling's been raised many times. Usually, it's on a bipartisan, almost unanimous basis. It just flies through. But recently, it hasn't always been pretty. We can start this by going back to 1995. You remember 1995, the president was a Democrat, Bill Clinton. Republicans had the majority in Congress. They were fighting about the federal budget, which caused a couple of government shutdowns back in 1995 and 1996. We had had government shutdowns before. They've happened since. But it was really the first time that the debt ceiling became a token in negotiating to fund the government. Bill Clinton said that he wouldn't cut the federal budget in the way that the Republicans wanted. And then House Speaker Newt Gingrich Newt, threatened not to raise the debt ceiling. Ultimately, though, defaulting on the debt was never really in play. The debt ceiling got raised. That's a much different story from what happened, though, in 2011. Because as you will recall, that was 12 years ago now. The president at the time was... Barack Obama, a Democrat, and Republicans controlled the House. So, when the federal debt reached the point of the debt limit in 2011, Republicans demanded that the deficit in the federal budget be reduced in exchange for their votes to increase the debt ceiling. And all of that set off a summer of negotiations between Obama and between Democrats and congressional Republicans. Ultimately, just two days before the Treasury Department said that the extraordinary measures that were used to make sure the U.S. avoided defaulting on its debt would no longer have an impact, a deal was struck two days before. What a time to be alive! Like, uh, well. And in exchange for cutting $917 billion in government spending over 10 years, the debt limit was increased by $900 billion, with a B. But... That money runs out quickly. That $900 billion ultimately just lasted over one year because on December 31st, 2012, the U.S. reached the debt ceiling once again, New Year's Eve. And so in the first months of 2013, negotiations once again happened between Democrats, Obama, and Republicans, which ultimately led to the No Budget, No Pay Act of 2013, which suspended the debt ceiling for a couple months until... May 19th of 2013, then the debt ceiling was then reinstated to reflect the amount of money that had been borrowed during the suspension period. But then there hadn't been any further increase, so we were back to the extraordinary measures again. That's happened before the extraordinary measures. This all led to a continuing resolution in October, which funded the government after a government shutdown and suspended a debt ceiling until February of 2014. And then, in February of 2014, Congress passed a spending plan to fund the federal government for two years, which also suspended the debt ceiling until March of 2015. So, it is rare that these types of hiccups happen, and they've only really happened recently that we've gotten so close to a default. It's happened before. It is rare, though, but it has happened before. So, good to know. Now let's go back to present times. 2023. What's going to happen in these next few weeks? Cuz it has been 10 years since the last debt ceiling debacle. Now we're back at it again with 
a divided government. So, the debt ceiling is at $31.4 trillion. We are less than one month away from a default. What is going to happen? Well, we actually had some recent developments on this on Tuesday, the day I'm recording this podcast, the day before this podcast came out. Because on Tuesday, the negotiating really began. On Tuesday, we had House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republicans, they went to the White House and they met with President Joe Biden and with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer at the White House. And by the way, Joe Biden, he was vice president, of course, during those two big debt limit negotiations in 2011 and 2013. So he's been through this before. So has Mitch McConnell. And so they've been through this before. Chuck Schumer and Kevin McCarthy, they weren't the leaders of their caucuses, conferences back when those happened. But McCarthy, because the Republicans controlled the House, was really basically in control of the Republicans right now. And he came out of the meeting saying he didn't see any movement. Of course, I would say that there probably is going to be some soon, considering that we're like three weeks away from this whole thing happening. But I think what I would do is take a look at the stances that the two sides have taken on this issue, because that's obviously an important part right now of you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to get a deal? I don't know. So when we start with the Democrats and the president, Joe Biden, they have said that they're looking basically at a clean, straightforward bill that would only raise the debt ceiling. With Republicans, it's a lot different. They are asking for massive spending cuts in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. Now, last month, House Republicans unveiled the Limit Save Grow Act, which is a 316-page bill that would raise the debt ceiling until about April 2024, so just like a year, while also cutting lots of government spending. A Congressional Budget Office estimate said that in the next 10 years, the bill would reduce the federal budget deficit by about $4.8 trillion. And that might sound great until you probably hear about what gets cut. So, you know, what does get cut? To answer that question, I read the bill. Well, I didn't read all 316 pages of the bill because some of that stuff is just nonsense. But I got into the meat of the bill and I read it. So along with some help from the New York Times, of course, here's a look at the major pieces of this bill. Here comes a fact. The biggest chunk of that $4.8 trillion, and probably the most important part of the bill, besides the raising of the debt ceiling part, is that all spending would be capped to fiscal year 2022 levels, and it would also limit spending growth annually by just 1%. That alone would provide $3.6 trillion in spending cuts over the next decade because the costs of government programs obviously rise with inflation. But that $3.6 trillion of those cuts wasn't exactly outlined in the bill. It just said this is the amount, meaning that the House Appropriations Committee would have to make those decisions later on. Of course, if the House changes parties, that just means that, you know, if Democrats take the House, they could just ignore that. Because that $3.6 trillion is in discretionary spending. These are things that aren't automatic, but are allocated annually in the budget. 
And so when we talk about discretionary spending, we're talking about things like social security, education, transportation, veterans affairs, energy, agriculture, NASA, defense, all that stuff is discretionary spending. Now, if every agency were cut equally under this bill, that would mean an average of an 18% cut over the next decade. And that would be for all government agencies. We're talking about defense, education, veterans, medical, health and human services, and all other federal government agencies. Now, because the bill is vague in this and basically doesn't say what exactly is going to get cut, it's just that the cap is going to be at fiscal year 2022 levels, then I've seen a lot of people wondering online, well, is defense going to get cut? Is uh, money to veterans going to get cut? Is Social Security going to get cut? And so Republicans, after they introduced the bill last month, have tried to come back and basically say, well, we're probably not going to cut defense spending. We're probably going to not cut veterans spending. And so the New York Times found that if there are no cuts to defense, veterans, and homeland security, because they've also talked about not cutting homeland security because the border is a big issue, then all other agencies would see a cut of 51%. That includes agriculture, energy, NASA, Social Security, education, transportation, all those other agencies would see a spending cut of 51%, which um, seems like a lot. This is true. So, of course, this would massively cut anything from food stamps, cancer research, air traffic control, Social Security, the State Department, possibly even Veterans Affairs if they decide to cut that. You know, the bill is vague, and so it doesn't say what things are going to get cut. But the cuts are pretty big, and those are some of the things that could not, you know, be on the chopping block completely, just have a lot of spending cut from them. And that is $3.6 trillion of the $4.8 trillion that the budget deficit is reduced by in that bill. So the other $1.2 trillion comes from other things like repealing the energy tax credits that were included in the Democratic Past Inflation Reduction Act. We talked about the Inflation Reduction Act a little bit on this podcast. That was two years ago or so that they passed that thing. Those tax credits are meant to incentivize the purchase of electric vehicles and producing clean energy and fuel, which I would say are obviously good things, but... You know, a lot of those Republicans don't want to deal with the environment mumbo-jumbo, which I believe is something I heard from Hannity's show the other week, which I saw on Twitter. I don't watch Hannity's show. Are you sure? But what the bill would also do is rescind most of the $70 billion that the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, gave the IRS. What do they keep talking about? Those 80,000 additional IRS agents that they say are coming for you? But really, they're just coming for the highest earners to make sure that people are actually paying their taxes. They would get rid of that funding, which ultimately the Congressional Budget Office believes would actually cost $120 billion over the next 10 years. Because taking away that money would ultimately reduce the collections of tax money that the government receives. So I feel like. That's not something they should do. The bill would also prevent the Biden administration from going ahead with their plan 
to forgive up to $20,000 in student loan debt for borrowers that would make less than $125,000 a year. That would save, they believe, about $460 billion. Of course, Supreme Court is dealing with this right now. They're going to be making their ruling on the legality of the plan next month, so that could make that whole point moot. Debatable. And then the bill also would block a student loan change that has been proposed by the Department of Education, which would reduce payments for future borrowers who ultimately earn low incomes after college. Education Department believes that that would cost about $100 billion over the next decade. Some outside estimates believe, though, that that could cost nearly $350 billion in that same time frame. So the bill would cut that. Expanding work requirements for those who receive food stamps or Medicaid would save about $120 billion. This would make able-bodied adults without dependents who receive Medicaid and federal food assistance subject to work requirements until they are 55 years old, which is up from 49 right now. So with that, I think that that's probably the most likely thing Democrats are going to agree on and say, all right, you can keep that in. But obviously, we'll see. Finally, the bill would also rescind pandemic relief funds that haven't been spent yet which are about 50 to $60 billion of the total, which was about $4.6 trillion of stimulus funding that was ultimately passed by two administrations, by a Republican one and a Democratic one, back in 2020 and in 2021. That's a lot of facts. So, that's all that's in that bill. Now, it was actually no certainty that the bill would even pass the House because Republicans only hold that 222 to 213 majority. They could only lose four votes, or else the bill's dead. Now, it ultimately, when it came to a vote, it ultimately did pass 217 to 215. So, four Republicans didn't vote for it, but McCarthy had the votes. So the bill is passed, the House. It's obviously not law because, you know, it's dead on arrival in the Senate. Chuck Schumer, who, as I said, is the Senate Majority Leader, called it the Default on America Act. So they don't, the Democrats don't like it, but it represents a starting point, basically, for negotiations from the Republican side. Republicans know that they're not going to get everything that they want, everything in this bill, but they've let their stance be known, basically. And so on the flip side, Democrats haven't introduced any bill that would raise the debt ceiling. But back in March, President Biden did introduce his budget. Now, when you talk about a president introducing his budget, even when both houses of Congress are controlled by the same party of the president, not everything in the budget gets passed. And now, especially because Republicans control the House, you know, some people basically just like to call it a campaign document because a lot of the stuff that's in there, you know, the big things that Democrats really like but Republicans don't, obviously aren't going to pass. So this big budget, which the White House says would ultimately reduce the deficit by $3 trillion over the next 10 years due to what it has tax hikes on the rich and corporations. Obviously, Republicans don't like those things. 
but in the fiscal year 2024, it would spend $1.8 trillion more than the government would take in. So obviously that's a pretty big deficit. So basically, we're going in the opposite direction between the two parties because the Democrats want more spending and they want tax hikes and the Republicans want to big time cut spending. And so that's basically where the two sides are coming from here. Now, what are they going to agree to? We have no clue. Maybe nothing. Maybe they're not going to reach an agreement. And maybe they're just going to default. Whoops. Or there's another thing that some people are saying could happen if an agreement between Congress and the White House isn't reached. Some Democrats are calling on the president to invoke the 14th Amendment. Now, what does that mean? The 14th Amendment is pretty big, but what they're talking about is Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. What that reads is, I'm going to read it to you, quote, the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States, or any claim for the loss of emancipation of any slave, but all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void, unquote. So basically, the debt ceiling has a lot of opponents. And because of Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, there are people that say that the debt ceiling is unconstitutional. And one of those people is Lawrence Tribe. He is a legal scholar, a constitutional law scholar, who is a university professor emeritus at Harvard University. And he has advised a couple of presidents on constitutional issues involving the separation of powers of the 14th Amendment. Those couple of presidents include former President Barack Obama and the current President Joe Biden. And he also, just a couple days ago, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, which was titled, Why I Changed My Mind on the debt limit. So if we go back to 2011, remember that whole thing that was going on? Lawrence Tribe was one of the advisors that Barack Obama had when talking about the debt ceiling, this issue, and also when they thought about the 14th Amendment. Now, ultimately, the Obama administration decided against the 14th Amendment because some of them didn't believe that argument that the debt ceiling was unconstitutional and they didn't think it would uphold in the courts including Lawrence Tribe, because he said he advised the Obama administration that he didn't agree with those who believed the debt ceiling was unconstitutional because of Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, where it says the validity of the public debt shall not be questioned. And so he writes in this op-ed in the New York Times how basically he rethought this issue because he didn't think that we, he was asking the right questions, or we were asking the right questions. Here we go. He says, quote, The question isn't whether the president can tear up the debt limit statute to ensure that the Treasury Department can continue paying bills submitted by veterans' hospitals or military contractors or even pension funds that purchase government bonds. The question isn't whether the president can, in effect, become a one-person Supreme Court, striking down laws by Congress. The right question is whether Congress, after passing the spending bills that created these debts in the first place, can invoke an arbitrary dollar limit to force the president and his administration to do its bidding. There is only one right answer to that question, 
and it is no. And he continues, and there is only one person with the power to give Congress that answer, the President of the United States. As a practical matter, what this means is this. Mr. Biden must tell Congress in no uncertain terms and as soon as possible before it's too late to avert a financial crisis that the United States will pay all its bills as they come due, even if the Treasury Department must borrow more than Congress has said it can, unquote. So this is one of the people who's advising President Biden, who basically changed his tune and said that invoking the 14th Amendment to say that the debt ceiling's unconstitutional should be legal. And so on Tuesday, Biden said that he was considering invoking the 14th Amendment, saying that he's spoken with tribe and that he thinks it would be legitimate. The problem that he says, though, is that it would have to be litigated, so it would obviously go through the courts. If he invoked it, that could potentially set off a constitutional crisis. Supreme Court would have to intervene, and with the Supreme Court at it right now, who knows how they would rule in that scenario. Ew. So, you know, that, ultimately, it sounds like the administration is trying to do everything it can to not have that happen, and instead, you know, actually negotiate and make a deal with Congress. But if worse comes to worse, it may come to that at some point, not right now. But, you know, in three weeks or so, it might come down to that. So ultimately, what does it mean if the U.S. defaults on its own debt? That's the last question I have. Good question. Because a lot of people will talk about, oh my gosh, it would be so terrible if the U.S. defaults on its debt. Well, what would happen specifically? Well, if we get to the stage where the 14th Amendment hasn't been invoked, or a deal hasn't been agreed to, no legislation's been passed, and the U.S. defaults on its debt, for the first time ever, it wouldn't be good. I think I said this on the podcast before, but we wouldn't exactly know the exact consequences that would happen, because as I just said, this has never happened before. But what we do know is that it would mean disastrous consequences, not just for the economy of the United States, but also for the global economy, because other countries are not going to want this to happen. Of course, if we default on our debt and, you know, we can't go past the debt ceiling, which means we cannot accumulate any more debt, we can't borrow any more money, the government's going to have to start picking and choosing what it can spend on because obviously we have a budget deficit. So things like national defense, Medicare, Social Security payments, those wouldn't be a given. They could be on the chopping block. Even if we don't default, but if we get really close, that could ultimately downgrade the federal government's credit rating. If you remember back in 2011, when we were two days away, the U.S.'s credit rating was actually downgraded by several credit rating agencies. We were at the top tier, AAA. Then we were knocked down to AA+, which sounds, you know, that's still pretty good. It's just, you know, not AAA. And that was only because we got so close to a default. Imagine what would happen if we actually do. But even if we get close again, that could still happen. That meant, back in 2011, that it costs more money to borrow for businesses and homeowners. So it actually affected ordinary people like us. And it could happen again. But that's along with the drop in consumer confidence and an almost assured 
stock market plunge, which is close to what happened in 2011, all those things would probably ultimately result in a recession. Goodbye. If you remember, back on episode 91 of my podcast, what is a recession? I think a lot of people like that podcast. We talked about whether or not a recession is going to happen this year. That was back in January. We talked about that on the podcast. You should go listen to that, by the way, if you haven't listened to that podcast. Well, and we're still not certain whether or not a recession is going to happen this year. Well, if we default on the debt, then it's a near certainty that a recession would happen this year. Estimates also say that if that happens, if we default on the debt, that nearly 3 million jobs could be lost. An average 30-year mortgage would add about $130,000 in costs, and we would get higher interest rates, which would lead to adding to the national debt. So we would only keep making things worse. And while, of course, this would have a massively negative effect on the U.S. economy, it would be bad for other countries, too. Because if you remember, the global economy is basically intertwined. The U.S. isn't just some shielded-off economy. It's really intertwined with a lot of other countries. And when the world's largest economy, for now, the U.S., defaults on its debt, it's going to cause some ripple effects, especially for countries invested in the U.S., even a country like China. China, which loves all the turmoil and the fighting that's going on in this country right now, Fight me. They might not even want this to happen because it would ultimately hurt Chinese investments in the U.S. And when you've got 60% of the world's foreign currency reserves held in the U.S. dollar, you know, defaulting on the debt would ultimately be a major problem worldwide. So, it's a fact. What does it mean if the U.S. defaults on its debt? It, uh... It wouldn't be good. So in conclusion, we're in a tough spot at the moment. We've only got a couple weeks left until the U.S. defaults on its debt, and as I just laid out, the consequences, if that happened, would be dire. We really, like, um, come on, y'all, we need a compromise to happen in Washington, D.C. Obviously, you know, just raising the debt ceiling cleanly would obviously be nice if we could do that, but Republicans want to attach spending cuts. The issue, and this is something I didn't even bring up, but the issue there, however, is that Republicans' plan wouldn't be good for the economy either. Because Mark Zandi, who is the chief economist at Moody's Analytics, actually testified before the Senate Budget Committee last week, and he said that if the Republicans' plan that I mentioned and outlined earlier went into effect, it would actually lead to 790,000 fewer jobs in 2024, and U.S. GDP growth would be at 1.61% next year instead of 2.23%. He also said that the plan would, quote, meaningfully increase, unquote, the likelihood of a recession. Yikes! So, you know, even if what the Republicans want gets enacted, it's still wouldn't be very good for the economy. So, that's the situation we're stuck in. Even invoking the 14th Amendment, which, I mean, believe it's legal or not, that's going to be up to the courts, it could happen, and declaring the debt ceiling unconstitutional, that carries major risks. So, let's just hope, because remember, the House 
majority for the Republicans is super slim. They could only lose four Republicans. If five Republicans basically join the Democrats and say we only want, you know, very small spending cuts or just a clean bill that only increases the debt ceiling, well, then there you go, because of the small majority that the Republicans have. So as I said at the beginning, what Kevin McCarthy does, because there's a lot of very far-right, hard-line Republicans who have never voted to raise the debt ceiling, who pride themselves on having never voted on raising the debt ceiling, because either they're just clueless as to what actually would happen, or they don't care what would happen if the U.S. defaulted on its debt. Either way, they don't want to vote for it. So, you know, ultimately what McCarthy does could potentially lead to a vote in the House to remove him from Speaker, because it's it's very easy if you're a Republican member of Congress to do that. But ultimately, nothing certain. It's something major, absolutely massive, that we're going to have to watch over the next few weeks, because we're about three weeks away from June 1st, which is the deadline. So we'll see. Stay tuned. We're probably going to give an update on this on the podcast if some major development happens in the next few weeks. And of course, on Xander's Weekend Facts on the newsletter, probably going to be talking about it too with our weekly recaps of the top news stories. So you might want to keep checking the facts because there's going to be a lot more developments over the next few weeks on what happens with the debt ceiling in the United States of America. My country, tis of thee. America! Oh boy, what a, what a proud moment to be an American. Oh boy. Okay, so those are all the facts that I have for you on this week's edition of the podcast for the debt ceiling topic for our main event this week. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember that if you liked all the facts that I just spread on this podcast, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 104, rate and review the podcast, and then check us out on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Facts. that is Xander with a Z, and most importantly, Remember to tell all your friends. We like to call it around here. Spread the facts. Xander's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the podcast, about the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts. Sign up in the episode's description. It's free. Xander's Facts is on YouTube, too. All our new episodes get posted to YouTube with a nice background. Subscribe. Watch. It's all fun. Xander's Facts on YouTube. Check it out. And the Xander's Facts link tree because it has all the Xander's Facts links that you need. It's also linked in this episode's description. Go check it out. So that is all I have for episode 104 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Next week, we're going to have some more facts, something factual I know with episode 105 of the podcast. More facts. Check them out next week. We have new facts every single Wednesday. So every Wednesday, set your reminder because new Xander's Facts drops 5 a.m. Now, you don't have to listen at 5 a.m. It just comes out at 5 a.m. You can listen whenever you want. I'm just saying, 5 a.m. on Wednesday, every Wednesday, you can start listening to a new episode of the Xander's Facts podcast. But that is it, everyone. That is a wrap on episode 104 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 105 next week. Get off my plane.